Look at all these slave masters posing on your dollar. Get it? Look at all these slave masters. I swear to God, Craig has a sexy ass voice. <laughs> no, I'm never. I know, ready, like, like, ready player one coming out, <laughs> right? I, I'm ready to play with his one, but uh, <laughs> more like ready player fun. All right, <laughs> what's up, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of Bay and Dre. My name is Luke. This is my co-host, Andre. Yes, my co-host Andre, and we actually have a very wonderful uh, guest tonight, Adam. Yeah, hello. Thanks thanks for having me on. This is great. No problem. No, thank you for coming on, really. Like, thank you for coming in more ways than one, obviously. <laughs> so, yeah, it's going to be like this. Let's just start off with, tell us a little bit about, like, where you are currently located. Uh, just give us a little backstory of, like, who you are. Um, so, I'm I'm from Michigan, uh, born and raised, but I've, I've moved to Portland, Oregon uh, about four years ago. And so, you know, my life out here has been pretty great, but... You know, now that this is all kind of the way the world is now, it's given me pause to really reflect on the history of Oregon. And it turns out it's a pretty racist place. And, you know, being a white guy uh, from the Midwest, uh, it's just not really a thing I really had to face. Something I'm always sort of aware of in the back of my head. But, you know, now that this is like front and center, it's uh, it's definitely changed me in, in, a, in, a, in a positive way. And it's been hard to reconcile all the, all the ways that I probably you know, have implicit biases. But it's also opened me up to ways that I can improve and try to help. You said that you didn't know Oregon was racist. No, not before I moved here. Honestly, it's, I didn't really know much about it before I came here. I just kind of came. What would make you like say that Oregon's pretty racist? As a person of color or a black person, for me, it feels like America's just racist everywhere. Yeah, and you're, you're right. When it was founded, you know, of, of course, at the time when, when territories were becoming states, there was a lot. It was racism was uh, as American as apple pie. But Oregon was the, one of the first states to put it on paper and like be very clear about it. There are laws up until the 70s prohibited black people from owning homes, from owning businesses, from getting proper education. Uh, even voting rights weren't ratified in Oregon until the 50s or 60s. So it's a lot more recent than people think. I knew about, like, the territory shit. I did not know about the voting rights and stuff. That's fucked up. Yeah, they were, like, one of the last states to, to ratify their, their amendment to allow black people to vote. And it was predicated on being a, a white utopia that was, like, in the manifesto. That was the, the manifest destiny out west to come here. There was literally laws stating that if you were black in the state of Oregon, you were subject to 39 lashings every six months. You didn't leave. It was like if you stayed more than three years, I believe. You know, those are very like clear, like that that, that were justified uh, based on this what utopia principle. So I'm curious. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Dre. I know that uh, there's a, a large Native American population in Oregon, and I'm just wondering if if they had similar laws for Native Americans. You know, it's very likely that they did. I think it was more clearly targeted towards Black people, although I know that it was widely used, you know, to, towards all people of color. So um, that includes Indigenous folk. But I know specifically in some of the language, it's Black people. Mm specifically i don't even know why we would want to live there though it's it rains so much <laughs> <laughs> it does rain a lot. you're right 
it's beautiful. I've been to Oregon. I've been to Portland. Uh, it's beautiful, but yeah, yeah no, I'm cool. <laughs> my, ex, my ex is from uh, from Portland. She lived in Eugene. She took me to what is it, uh, Pacific City? Yeah, yeah, it's on the coast. yeah. Because her family owns a, a house off the shore, and um, so yeah, I've seen a lot of Oregon. But yeah, I'd rather stay in California. Yeah, sure. California's great. I've been a bunch of times. It's awesome. What made you move there? I I moved here uh, with a partner actually, and that you know that that happens to a lot of people. You you know you kind of come out west with uh, this romantic idea of having a great life together, and then it's actually really hard to live here in the winter. Like you said, the the it rains a lot and it's really cloudy in the winter. It turns out it's really hard on the, on the soul. It's really hard on the mind. It's hard on the emotions, and people break up more times than not. Like there's actually a running joke that this is uh, the Valley of Tears. A, a little not a trail of tears, which is uh, kind of taboo, but uh, it's hard. It's hard to move through with someone. But that's that's why I came here. I find it really interesting that you're equating it to that because I almost actually moved to Portland last year. COVID and me dealing with uh, an ex of mine, you know, he's a complete piece of shit. <laughs> I was like literally gearing up. I found a place. I had a friend who lives there and everyone kept saying, you're going to love it here. It's super accepting. So the fact that you're saying you find it incredibly racist, you find it very depressing, even just in geographic terms, that's a 360, that's a complete 180 from what other people are telling me. So Hey, Luke, let me stop you for a second. Let me stop you for a second. Where you grew up it was a racist town. You would definitely be happier in Portland than Baskin Ridge, New Jersey. Yeah, so, so the, you know, there's a difference between overt racism and outright hatred and exclusion. Uh, I think Oregon has done, a, has done a really good job of excluding Black people with laws and jurisdiction. They wouldn't say that now, but... If you look at the statistics, we have the lowest number of black people in our city in comparison to other cities. It's like 3%, uh, which is crazy, you know, in, in, in 2020, that we, it would be that low. Like I said, I think the rain has a lot to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Voodoo Donuts is amazing, but not amazing enough to live there. It's fine. I went there once, that's all, and that was enough. <laughs> I'm just like wondering, like, you know, it starts raining and black people are like, I can't swim. And they're like, damn. <laughs> 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 yeah, that could be part of it too. Uh, but you know, it, it is otherwise very beautiful. And and yes, you know, there is a relatively accepting community. But again, it's uh, like for like gentrification, for example. There's there's two main areas of Portland that are sort of like hot spots, like art districts and and sort of where all all hipsters go to hang out, the bars and shops, and get your like artisan pizza. And they were not more than ten years ago black communities. And now, now they're not. And so and that's like a direct impact of capitalism sort of just taking over those areas and making it difficult for sort of these lower economic status like businesses to thrive and like push black families out. And of course, you see that all over America, but it's, it's very much happening here too. Now, does this feel like personal, like legacy? Do you feel like the discrimination that you're witnessing that's happening towards people of color um, and minorities, do you feel like it's because Oregon started as such a incredibly racist, like, you know, white American-based state? It's tied to the history. I mean, it can't not be. I don't have any direct evidence of that. But again, this is this is like a problem of, of like the modern city. It's like the pure economics of it. These you know, people with money, they want their like artist avenues with their $14 bubble tea shops and any businesses there that were like community hotspots or you know places that have been there for for 20 years just can't make it. You know the, the rents go up and grocery stores get shut down and they get replaced with condos. 
you know, some of the more community-owned ones get pushed out. Yeah, I feel like that happens everywhere. Yeah. And it is um, systemic that you know, we weren't able to buy any of these of the property to begin with. So it's easy to push us out. And we're going to deal with that everywhere. It's not just Portland. Right. I mean, it's like it's hard to compete against Whole Foods. When, you know, when a Whole Foods comes in, you can't afford that. It's like, hey, do you want a bottle of water? Nine fucking dollars. It's organic. And I'm like, bitch, all of it's organic. It's water. Yeah. <laughs> if you really think about it, though, like if you own the building that Whole Foods is in, you're making money. You're keeping the community the way you want it to be. And that's the problem. Like we don't own anything. We, we aren't able to control how much people are paying for rent or to keep people in the community because we never owned anything. I mean, maybe we should start. We should combat Whole Foods with Whole Foods and just hire a bunch of the strippers. And, you know, we need to own the building that Whole Foods is in and just make money. Let you get your bubble tea or whatever you want. And we'll just make money off of that. That's all you have to do. Just got to own the land, own the property. That bubble tea. Because it's thick. Yeah, we need them thick. It's got to be thick. <laughs> like, you know, go to Whole Foods. You have some strippers to here. Okay, sir, so how thick you want your bubbles? And, you know, <laughs> just puts a couple yeah. in, and it just looks like two giant, you know, two giant cheeks. Your bubble tea be clapping <laughs> as you're walking out. But, <laughs> all right, back on the topic. Okay, we've got some insight of what Portland is like from your perspective. Um what is going on over there? Because the last time I talked to you, uh, like we were able to have like, you know, a quick conversation, but we were actually having a conversation. You said that COVID was happening incredibly rough over there, which I'm pretty sure it hasn't let up. On top of that, now you have the protests and the riots going on. And, you know, as you're talking about all of this systemic racism that's still in place, you know, 3% of the population is black. What is that like over there? You know, with COVID, people are still showing up. People, people are showing up with masks. They're showing up with hand sanitizer. There's lots of community support. You know, there's, and there's lots of education around it because, of course, you have white opportunists that just want to break stuff. And that's, that's happening everywhere. And Oregon is not um, innocent of that. However, the majority of people have been very peaceful. You know, there was an Apple store that was broke. You know, who cares? Fuck Apple. Uh, there was like a Louis Vuitton store, you know, a bunch of purses were stolen. Awesome. Like take those purses. Nobody cares. There were a couple of small businesses that had, that were hurt and that really sucks. However, most, most of the protests and it's 20 days counting in counting now have 10, 15,000 people showing up every day and more times than not, uh, black led. If they're not black led, they become that way very quickly. And, you know, it took some learning from a lot of people because, you know, you, you want to show up, but also it can very easily become about you. And you just have to be humble about that. What do you mean by that? Like, if, if you're a white person at a protest and, and you start inciting the, the vocals to, to, to chant some statement about George Floyd or, um, you know, no justice, no peace, are you doing that for yourself? Or are you, are you talking over black voices? Because I've seen that happen. But also, there's, it is mostly white, so it's like, you know, if we're out there. But it's, it's, we, they've been very good about um, just making it black-centered. Okay. How have the police responded to this? And how have you, like, like, what are you feeling about this? Not just what you're seeing, but, like, what are you feeling inside? Like, your thoughts on this? Well, I'm, I'm a 100%, like, fuck the police abolitionist. Like, I, I've had that attitude since I was a teenager. The police are inherently violent. They're, they're not there to protect us. 
when you're down at the protests and um, you have people trying to have conversations. I was I was just down there the other day. There were we were all up in the front. There was it was kind of a smaller demonstration at this point, and there was uh, an older black woman reading off the names of there's like 50 names that police have killed, and like the first 15 of them were by the Portland Police Bureau. Oh and God. we were up there, and, and they were they were there was two police officers halfway listening on their just kind of like not really looking at us on their phones and just and just with a general stance of apathy and disinterest. People were all shouting these names, and they're they're not listening. And they don't care. And you sh- you you know you shake the fence one time, and they they deem it unlawful. And as soon as they do that, they're allowed to use rubber bullets on us and throw tear gas at us. It's completely fucked. They're not really human at all like they're responding to some stimulus that they're there to protect themselves you know i'm pissed i was down there yeah this the same evening there were uh, there was a young black girl voicing her her justified anger there were two police officers there they we had their they had their attention at this point but their response was what about our story what about our point of view and there was no response to the actual to the actual like hurt and emotion that this girl was trying to communicate We've got, we've got to have a, a new way to, to, to monitor the community. There was a point when they charged us and I was screaming in their face because I was, it just, this fire like, like went off in my belly and I, you know, I couldn't, couldn't believe that they, that they would attack us like that. Uh, their own people, people that we live in the same city. It just doesn't make sense. Like, how does that make sense that you would attack your own people willingly? It's, you volunteer yourself to do that. And yeah, one of my friends got arrested after that, and it was kind of a crazy night. Yeah, they're not, they're not, they're not here to protect us. I mean, it's very clear. I mean, we need police reform. That's pretty much what we need to do. That there's nothing that we can do with protesting and yelling in a cop's face, or you standing in front of me if they're giving me, you know, issues. We have to go and and reform things, and also like the committee, like they, they should not have oversight of their own department. That should be a totally separate department that has no affiliation with police at all. Even autopsies, all autopsies should be done um, by another party. It shouldn't be done with something that's connected to the police. That's everywhere, not just in Portland. Yeah, you know, to a lot of these guys, like, this is just a job. They trained six months for it. They probably didn't graduate college in any, in any way or any other kind of education, I should say. It's yeah, it's like a vocational training to just uh, kind of show up with, with your riot gear on site for every response. You need more training to become a barber. Cut hair. You need more training than to become a police officer. That's crazy. Their literal job is is to enforce the law. If you want to be a lawyer, you have to study the law like law for like eight years before you can even begin to infer, to to be a lawyer. Yeah. Like why do we? Why can't we treat the police the same way? It is, it's it makes completely no sense. We've talked to multiple people of color, but hearing this come from a, you know, a white male who is admitting, like, you know, I haven't seen the biases as much until now. It's just kind of like hitting a little different. No, like, don't taste the wrong way, but you are in the group of people that would be least affected by systemic racism. And the fact that it's so blatant now, it's so out in the open and just happening that you feel even compelled, like, I can't just sit here and I can't, it can't be ignored. It's just wild to me. Yeah, you know, how, how could I, how could I, you know, what kind of person would I be if I felt this way and then stayed home? 
you know, not to cut you off, but, uh, you know, I grew up, as Andre said, in Basking Ridge, New Jersey. And Andre, he's actually my cousin. Um, he's lived with us every summer until, Andre, until how old? 19. And then I moved in with you guys. Where I grew up, or actually, let me rephrase that. Where we grew up was so racist, like, shit like this would happen daily. I used to get pulled over every day. And they used to ask me where I was going. To the point where your mom had to go to the police station and ask him to stop harassing me. Yeah, I mean, Kenny has a story. Kelsey has a story. I definitely have that story. You know, I had to change high schools because of the racism. You remember that time that I picked you up and we were going back to Maryland? And we got pulled over with Nikos in the car. And the cop asked for everyone's ID in the car and said we all had warrants. And then let us go. Yeah. It happens all the time. But at this point, like, there's no point in sitting here dwelling on that. What we need to do is figure out how we can change things. Like there's there's power in numbers. And at this point, people actually see what we're going through. How do we use this momentum to change things? That's the real question. Right. Yeah, that's that's right. Like where do we go from here? But Adam, just questioning, now that you have this awareness that you're picking up on, like, you know, you're seeing, like, all this discrimination, you're seeing these systems in place that are kept, you know, meant to keep certain groups down. And it's not just Black, it's Black, it's gay, it's anyone who's not part of what essentially is white Christian males, wealthy white Christian males. What does this change feel like? Where are you noticing from before when you realize this to now that you're seeing all of this? You know, be- before I would say, of course, the, the Black Lives Matter movement has been something that I've openly supported for since its inception. And when you know when you live in a city like Portland, you'll you'll have people with Black Lives Matter signs in their yard, but there's no black people around. And so just kind of just kind of doing in that for a while and just um, not really sure how to respond uh, up until this point. The shift in me has been because because of COVID, uh, because of the people who just aren't working, they have time. That's time to organize. That's time to put out material and resources to educate. Personally, I'm on Instagram constantly, Facebook reading how to, you know, how to educate myself around uh, things that I didn't know before and ways to, to just show up. And part of that is, you know, I'm so I'm a, I'm a web designer. I work for a tech company. You know, you consider like any any wealth in the United States, especially when you get into the corporate world, is benefits is a direct beneficiary of white supremacy. And the legacy of the exploitation of labor, and you have companies like uh, like Microsoft and Walmart and Amazon, and they're they're using prison labor to make to keep their costs down. And you know it's a way it's a way we've legalized slavery in the modern world, and it's just something we just like don't think about. We just haven't accepted it as a reality. You know, in my company, I just straight up brought it up while this was going on, and like with our leadership, with some of my team, you know, we need to have a space to talk about this. You know, how does corporate America respond to this? Because when you when you get down to it, capitalism doesn't work without exploitation of labor. It just doesn't. I mean, that's completely what capitalism is. Sorry. In my heart, I'm like reconciling with my entire career is um, is based on the promotion of capitalism. And, you know, I that's I've been wrestling with that. Like so, you know, with with my the position of power, I find myself in trying to bring some of those those initiatives into our to like how we see how we make money as a company and you know asking our leadership to just look at that do we have clients that use prison labor very clearly we can look at that and say yes or no and if we do then, then that looks it up that reflects bad on every employer that, that works for including myself 
that's and that's that's something that we got to keep bringing to the table because change doesn't happen overnight. Where does that stop? Because we all benefit from some sort of labor. If you have a phone, that's definitely basically slave labor in China or India. So in yeah. our clothes are definitely not made here. Most of them. So where does it stop? I'm not gonna lie. I bought a hundred dollars worth of shit off of Wish last night. Not gonna lie, they were selling sex sheets. You know, it caught my eye. But you know, <laughs> but I'm just saying, hold like, on, hold on, hold on. like, <laughs> there are sheets that you can get that your juices don't mix in. Yeah, I'll send you the link. Like they're like wick, like wicking material, like like the like sports. This wicking? one was like, I think it was spandex and latex okay, yeah. send me the link later we'll, we won't talk about it right now send me the link later <laughs> yeah, I'll, send, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll send you the link later sorry about that that wasn't the point sounds slippery but, right <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of that silk sheets are awful for they're slippery like I, I had silk sheets one time and i was trying to make my bed and every try to like uh put the top sheet on the bed it would slide off it was so annoying it, honestly, then we got to get back on the topic. Silk Sheiks creep me out because all I think is about those episodes of The Cosby Show where Bill Cosby would be in bed with Claire. And I'm like, mm, you're writing those ambient prescriptions and putting those pudding pops oh in God. that silk sheet. But I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I just see silk and all I think about oh, is Lord. like Bill Cosby going, Claire likes it when I put the ambient inside the pudding pops. And then... <laughs> oh yeah, that changed the mood a little bit because this is getting real dark, man. I'm like, fuck, I want to like hug everybody. This is terrible. Shit. Oh, situation is dark. <laughs> but what I was trying to say was, you know, I went and I was buying things on Wish, not thinking about it. And that's all that stuff is coming from China. Unless it says it's coming from America, then it's made in China, already shipped from America. So that's what I'm saying. Where, where does where does uh, where's the uh, where does it end? Like we shouldn't support that either. We shouldn't, but it's everywhere. You know, you go to Starbucks. Okay, they have child labor in the Amazon in some parts. You go to give me another company, Nike. That shit's fucked up because Nike's got all those shoes that literally people of color murder each other for, like the Air Force Jordans or shit like that. And then they go to jail, and then they're back into this system of, okay, well, now we're going to exploit your labor because of this shit. Like, how do we, as a whole, fix this? Because this is really ingrained within capitalism. I've, you know, I've heard from um, friends of mine who are communication and social studies majors, and they would tell me things like, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. So how do we go about making it so there is ethical consumption? Someone's always going to be exploited. Yeah, it's complicated because, well, have, have you seen, have you all seen the, uh, the show The Good Place? I've heard about it. It's like a kitschy comedy um, on Hulu, but yeah, with Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. They have this concept that, um, you know, to get into heaven, you have to have the right amount of points. So like Instagram likes? Yeah, or just like, you know, you doing stuff out of your own goodwill of your heart. You know, wholesome shit. I'm going to, this is a spoiler alert. Anyway, they, they figure out that no people aren't getting into the good place anymore. And um, the reason that people aren't getting into the good place is because it's impossible to make a good decision in this world. Because every choice you make uh, somewhere down the line is, is unethical. Uh, so nobody's getting enough points to get in, into the good place. Because you, you keep, there's no net positive outcome for any, any individual person. Damn. 
And, that, and that's like, yeah, it's like a critique on our world. So yeah, how do we change that? I don't know. Cancel your Amazon Prime account. I don't know. Only go to farmers markets that are local. It's like it has to be local, or if it's not, then there's there's some kind of exploitation going on. It's the only way. That's the only way to make it, make it affordable. You know? Yeah. Like I still want these sex sheets. <laughs> like. Yeah. <laughs> I still want those shades that I can't I can't find anywhere else. Like you know, I, I don't know how else to get it. It's like this. We have this amazing thing called the internet it's given us so much that uh, it's easy to take for granted so you said that these companies that provide services like this or like the you know tech services and stuff that you said microsoft um and amazon you said they exploit prison labor can you dive more into that because i didn't know that microsoft did it i knew amazon about i knew amazon did it you know they even treat their workers like shit um you know i've heard about the way they've treated, you know, treated pregnant women or how they've like rather have ambulances in their warehouses than air conditioning because it's cheaper. I've heard about that fucked up stuff, but I didn't know about the prison um, aspect. Well, do you, do you know much about the prison labor uh, regulations, like how that works? I'm not well versed enough to make an accurate description of it, so I'm going to leave that to you. Uh, this, you know, it's varies from state to state and county to county, but if you're in jail or in prison, you you have the ability to work for the prison, and you have to earn that right based on good behavior. So let's say let's say it's like I I was good for six months. That means I have the right to work now. You will be stamping license plates and pe- like packaging up toothpaste for two dollars an hour, and that goes that goes to pay your stay in prison. Um, and it, even in Michigan, where I'm from. It's one of the only states that has privatized prisons. So they have quotas and it costs, you have to pay to be there. Let's say they have a call center. Uh, you can, this is a job you can get in prison where you are answering calls and directing people through their, you know, human resources hotline, or, you know, you're, you're packaging up some product that's, that's going to get shipped out to, to China or somewhere in the world. And you're making pennies on the dollar or nothing at all. Cause it's either work or do nothing. If you're making pennies or like a couple of dollars like how do they expect you to pay like like why are you doing this then if you're not making anything return like does this lower your sentence does this like there is some like sort of sentence reduction that's involved usually uh i, I think and again that varies you could go on your books to buy things while you're in prison i mean we should probably talk to someone that has actually put in that situation i mean you do need toiletries and things while you're in prison Someone either has to put money on your books for you or you have to um, accumulate that money somehow. That's fucked up. Yeah, I think it's called a commissary. Like you can buy toothpaste. You You know, it's funny. I knew that was what it was called, but I was trying not to say that because when I was in L.A., there was this hipster place called uh, Commissary around the uh, corner from where I used to live. And I was just kind of like, do they really use that as the the name of the restaurant? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Talk about tone deaf. Right? Goddamn. Like, goddamn. So basically, you're working way below minimum wage. You said pennies. Um, is that, are you being literal with that or are you being metaphorical? Yeah, it's, it, it varies. It varies. You know, it could be $5 an hour, it could be $2 an hour, but whatever it is, it's not a fair wage. First of all, you, you have to like earn your right to work. If you're on good behavior, then, then you earn your way to like get out of prison sooner through work. It's literally, you know, on, on, the, on the, the walls or on the gates of uh, concentration camps, the, the phrase in German is work will set you free. And that's, that's what we're telling people in prison, that if you work, you will be free sooner. 
So basically, you're paying your own prison sentence with wages that can't be supported. And if you want to have the possibility, not even a guarantee, a possibility, you know, coming out early. This sounds like indentured servitude. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Oh, my God. And then and I guess that this relates back because then you have disproportionate groups of people who are targeted to go into these prisons, which would be people of color, who then right. would just be put into slavery again. Oh, my God. That's fucking horrible. We should um, watch the, the 13th and then talk about it because I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what the, that is completely about. You know, and you have you have like the, in the 90s, the war on drugs where you can name the crack epidemic in black neighborhoods and so you you know you have the u.s government injecting crack into these neighborhoods and then criminalizing crack this distribution and then over and then sending in militarized police to uh arrest the fathers and sons and mothers of those communities disproportionately in mass waves and so you have this huge spike incriminating uh, people of color and uh, people of low economic status over a fabrication. With that information, you know, that we're discussing, what is your opinion then? I mean, you did say earlier you, you've never liked cops, but do you believe that there's any good cops then out there? Or I, I will publicly say um, that all cops are bastards and there can't be no cops. It doesn't necessarily mean that there are no good people that try to do good within the system of, of policing. Um, I'm sure they exist and, and, you know, there's lots of good people in the world. However, you cannot voluntarily sign up for an unjust, oppressive system and call yourself a good version of that. Like, there's no, there's no version of a cop that's good because the entire system is built to oppress Black people. Do you think that they have this wishful thinking that they're going to change things? Well, time and time again, the, you know, you can you see story after story coming out now where there's countless accounts of people trying to do that, calling out their patrol officers, their their the people that they that they work with, their higher ups, and and getting fired. Yeah, getting completely silenced. As an individual, there's nothing you can do. Do we know anything about the police union? Well, the police union uh, is fucked up in itself because it it offers the police more protection, even more than they already have. Uh, again, if they're treating it like like a fraternity. Yeah, like it's like this like brotherhood. That, men that mentality is is ingrained in the culture of policing in the United States. And so until we get rid of that culture, nothing is going to change. Because it becomes an us versus them mentality rather than us and them versus the issue. They, they make enemies of the American people. Straight away, if you're a police officer, everyone everyone in the United States is your enemy. Because your job is to, is to enforce law. Laws that are designed to oppress. Now, would you people. say they're designed to enforce law? Not uh, speaking strictly by the books. On the books, yes, they say they're there to enforce the law. You know, and they do the bullshit of we're here to serve and protect. You know, now always comes a question of who. But do you believe that they're actually there to enforce the law, or do you think they're there to enforce the status quo of society, legal and unspoken rules? I think I think they're the same. Uh, I think our, our our laws are meant to uphold the status quo. You know, we teach we teach our police officers to use force first, and so no matter no matter what their job is, they show up with a gun and a baton and handcuffs and mace and body armor. I'm gonna give you a slight pushback on that. I don't necessarily feel that all cops are that way because I've dealt with multiple situations where I wasn't doing anything and I was handled. Uh, as if I was a criminal. And then I've also been in situations where I was doing something that I shouldn't have been doing and they let me go. They treated me with the utmost respect. I'll give you two examples. First example, 
I was in Maryland and I was speeding. I was, the reason I was speeding is because I was on my way to the gun range. I was going to, to, to the range with a couple of my coworkers. I borrowed my friend's gun. And this is the first time that I ever had a gun in my car. I didn't know that when you're supposed to transport a gun, you're supposed to have it in a trunk. I had it on the passenger side on the floor. I pulled over for speeding. The cop sees the gun in the case on my passenger side. And then he makes me get out of the car. Then he talks to me. He asks me where I'm going, why I have the gun in the car. And I told him the whole scenario. He ran the gun to, just to make sure that it was legal. And then he said, idiot, don't ever drive around with a gun in your car. If you're going to do that, it needs to be in the trunk. He gave me a speeding ticket and let me go. That could have easily been a situation where I could have been arrested. I could have been shot because I had a gun in the car. But I've also had situations where I'm driving my car and I get pulled over and I'm asked, how can I afford my car? I'm not breaking the law at all. I'm just a black man in a car, in a nice car. So I can't necessarily say all of them are bad. It's just those certain ones that should they, they should have psych evaluations before they actually start working. I've definitely had way I've had way more bad experiences with cops than good experiences. But there are there that one situation right there, I could have been shot and killed for having my friend's gun in my car. Now I have a question to you, Andre. Um because even though I've had both good and bad experiences with the police, not many, but definitely the bad have outweighed the good. And I have a squeaky clean record. Do you feel that the bad ones, because of their position of power and authority that they are given, do you feel that that, that really matters what the good ones do? Because I guess that cop, you know, in this example, lets you go and just told you you're an idiot. But the fact that we're giving props to an officer for not being a racist piece of shit and gunning your ass down is kind of fucked up when that's his job. Your job is to serve and protect. Yes, he could have arrested. Yes, he let you go. That's awesome that he did. I'm glad nothing happened. But I'm looking at this situation like, okay, but we shouldn't really be giving this man a round of applause or this woman a round of applause because they didn't end up being a piece of shit. Okay, I, I understand where you're coming from, but you know I like to drive fast. I was definitely breaking the law. I could have gotten a reckless driving speeding ticket. Okay, Adam, it's fucking fast and furious with this one. Literally, this man has taken me 160 <laughs> miles an hour on the freeway. So, I mean, in that situation, I wasn't doing 160, but I was probably doing 120. Oh, this is my Audi. So I definitely could have got a reckless driving ticket in that situation. But no, it, what it is, the real problem is there's no accountability for people murdering people or or, or like if, if someone makes a complaint, there is no accountability. They're protected by the union and also the way the law is written. So if you say that you felt that you were in danger, even though you weren't, it's going to get thrown out. There, there has to be a change to the system where if, if someone murder somebody or uses excessive force then they should be held accountable for what they do that's the problem because then that would weed out all the assholes that are racist or all the people that used to get picked on when they were kids or when they were in high school or college and now they have all this authority over people so they get to throw people around because there's no consequences to their actions that's the real problem you have to weed out the the assholes from the good cops now adam 
do you, like you know you were saying earlier that you got into a cop's face you've been on the front lines of these protests um i personally cannot imagine ever getting in a cop's face like that ever even nowadays like i saw a cop today when me and my mom went to the bank and kind of just kept my face you know from looking at his because it's like i don't want to call any attention what does that feel like as a white american male uh yeah i was i was uh, a special cocktail of furious and afraid and a little bit guilty just for the for the fact that i you know i try not to i've been trying really hard to just like be a presence at these protests and like not make it about me you know offer my body as like protection so i guess in that moment that's that's kind of where my head was at um, i didn't want to get arrested so that was definitely on my mind and i had my bikes like and they did charge us several times adam let me ask you did you feel that you could possibly die I was never afraid for my life. No. Yeah. Well, the police, the police are, are using rubber bullets still. Uh, they're not, they don't have live ammunition, but you know, rubber bullet, it's just a, a regular bullet with rubber around it. It's like still coming at you as fast as a regular bullet. People are getting seriously hurt, but no bullets were used on George Floyd at all. So <laughs> it's true. Yeah. But that's why I asked you. Cause I mean, I always have anxiety. That's the only time I ever have anxiety is like if a cop is behind me or if I'm around police. And that's that's sad. So that's why I asked you, like, if you if you felt that there was any harm that could have possibly happened to you in that situation. You know, honestly, what was going through my head is that I didn't want my bike to get fucked up. You know, as, as like silly as that sounds, like I have this like bike that I rely on. It's like my main mode of transportation. You know, other, otherwise, uh, just like. The sheer presence of a police officer definitely like hits some like fear nerve in my in my brain where it's like it's it is traumatizing just to be in the presence of a police officer. Like just to get pulled over is like, you know, I've never I've been afraid for my life, but it's not a fun experience. Like your heart's racing, like you it's an, it feels inherently violent, like you're being violated, like your privacy is being violated, like you you don't know what you did wrong. And again, it might even be something small. It's like, you know, if you fought five miles over the speed limit and you get pulled over, it's like, was it worth inciting that much fear in someone? You know, there's better ways to, to manage that. That much fear and trauma. That's not just fear. Fear is like, okay, I saw a spider as I'm taking a shit. Um, I turned around and somebody I didn't expect to be there is right there. And you're like, oh my God, this is trauma in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And so, you know, that is that is the call for a police abolishment, you know, in that circumstance, like, you know, imagine a city worker sees one of your taillights out and they, they, they help you on the side of the road and they fix it for you. And your tax dollars pays them to do that. Like, what a different world that would be than to get like a fix it ticket. Adam, how are you feeling, man? This is heavy. I don't like this. I'm a little worked up. I, I, I'm not a black person, so I I. I I don't have any relationship with like that level of heaviness yeah. in this topic. You know, I, I guess I probably have a little more range to even vocalize some of this without completely breaking down. Because, you know, there are topics in my life that are hard to talk about like, that are very personal. But, you know, this specifically is I don't have to worry about dying every day because, yeah. I'm, because of my race. And that's that's just something I'll never be able to relate to. I'm here to witness it. And that's like I feel like that's our duty. The, the original sin of America is for us all to reconcile with that, especially as a white person. And then white people don't want to do it. You know, there's the, the white guilt of, oh, it's not me. I would never do that. But you're still benefiting from everything that has been in, in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it's Iceland. I can be wrong. I'll have to uh, fact check that. 
But um, I do know for a fact that there are European countries that have had zero police killings or even as low as in the tens of people, like under 10 in the last decade. You know, and I've talked to my mom about this and she disagrees. But do you think it's possible that America could get to that point where we have such a healthy relationship with law enforcement that it's no longer toxic and it's actually safer to have them around because they, we don't have to worry about them murdering us? And do you ever think that America actually gets to that point that we are not going to have to worry about the police being you know, about calling the cops, making the situation deadlier than it might already be. Uh, well, first, first straight, straight away, black people have to stop dying because of police. Like that's got, that's got to be the first thing. If that doesn't stop, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't see the police lasting. I don't see the America making it. This is like the last straw before people like really, you know, go full blown anarchists. It's pretty clear, and it's, it makes it makes complete sense, intuitive sense that most like low-level crime is, is an outcome or a symptom of a need not met. And so, you know, if we can meet the needs, you'd see crime go down and you see less police response and that, that goes a long way. You get people food, you get them housing, you get them education, you get them jobs, you get them resources. Right. right. He's totally right. No, he is because, um, have you ever heard of Camden? No. Okay, so Camden ain't nothing to fuck with. And when I say that, I mean, I got lost once in Camden and I walk around Baltimore. That's where I live currently. I walk around Baltimore and the bad parts, you know, quote unquote, like it's nothing because I'm like, y'all ain't as scary as these Camden niggas. Excuse my language. It was the most dangerous city, happily most dangerous city in America on and off for decades. They actually defunded their police and started reinvesting the extra money into the community and now camden's crime in the last decade has cut in half and even though you know the police acknowledge and the citizens acknowledge there's still a lot of work to be done people who've been living there for decades are saying you know this is a vast change in what this used to be you know in camden i remember i had a friend um she was basically the you know a real life Hillary Swank. She would go into Camden to work with the inner city kids there, and she would tell me stories about how they would be chanting and cheering. And when she would ask them like, "Why are you guys cheering?" They're like, "We're the most dangerous again." That's something that I was to be proud of. And she'd tell me like, "There's like areas where cops would even go to get you if you got a 911 call because that's where you went to die because of all of the crime and the gang violence." In the last decade, Camden has been one of the leading examples of police reform turning into more of a community reform and actually succeeding. So we have a shining example of this working, right? And it, and it worked in like the worst case scenario. It so. worked in the worst case scenario. Like I shit you not, Baltimore will be like, oh, we're the most dangerous. It's like, yeah, in a few pockets. Camden was all over. Mm. There's an aquarium that's famous over there people go to. And I'm like, yo, if I need a bulletproof glass because Finding Nemo might get me, I don't need to go. Venture Aquarium? You're talking about that place? Yo, I'm just saying, the minute someone says, you want to go to the Camden Aquarium, I'm like, <laughs> no. Dory will rob my ass and then be like, all right, cool. <laughs> and then as I'm walking away, she'll be like, yo, give me a wallet. It's like, bitch, I just gave you my wallet. No, you didn't. I forgot. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> Do it again. It's because there's a, a Martin Luther King Boulevard 
the doors go lock. <laughs> Same with Malcolm X Avenue. <laughs> like, yeah, that's why. Yeah. They run straight right? through it's Like, nah, not doing that today. Yeah, and there's all these streets being named to Black Lives Matter, and it's like it's, we, you know, we already did this. We renamed streets to, you know, try to push a movement, and it just it it just sort of localized the problem. Right. To those areas. It just kind of shifts them around. Either piece them in one yeah. area, or it's like, okay, once it becomes hip and chic and you see, you know, white women with a Starbucks, then you're like, okay, it's time to shift them again, which is actually right. going on in my neighborhood right now, to be honest. Like when I first moved in there, there was a shootout half a block away the first summer I was there. Scary as fuck, never wanted to happen again. Then a year later, you know, that Halloween, there was two college age white women at 3 a.m trick-or-treating as sexy angels and sexy devils i was like do y'all know where you are at and they're like oh my god we're gonna get candy rebecca and i was like yo you need to go home <laughs> like look stephanie like i don't know what you're on but you and methany need to go home <laughs> <laughs> i don't know where i'm going with this i'm sorry this wee tincture is starting to kick in so excuse me if i'm being goofy as shit i'm just gonna edit that out but yeah, no, <laughs> is, let's talk about something more positive and more more happy. Like what, Magic Johnson? This has been a, like a hard couple of weeks. It just brings back all the shit that I've dealt with in my life. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Let's talk about something fun. Right. What is everyone doing for uh, uh, mental uh, clarity this time? Lots of mushrooms. Mushrooms are amazing. Yeah, I got like every day, just like microdosing mushrooms. N.W. Bay, you need to share with me because you fight the cops, you're sexy as fuck, you woke as fuck, and you got mushrooms. Ooh. <laughs> Look out. Mommy, mommy. Yeah, see, right? Like, yum, 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 That's great. I'm, I'm flattered, truly. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, I think that is a perfect place to end this podcast. <laughs> Adam, sure. you have been absolutely a delight to be on here. Thank you so very much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you, guys. It's been, this has been great. I, I appreciate your time and uh, you know your insight and just the space to, to chat this out. I think it's important work. So good job, guys. Dre, do you have anything to close with? Everything that we talked about is just we have to be unified and we have to make changes together. We just all have to be on the same yeah. page. That's it.